Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Risha Desai. As regular listeners to Raise the Line have heard many, many times over and over again from medical educators we've interviewed, the pandemic has caused significant changes to medical education in the U.S. and around the world. One of the most impactful has been the integration of online learning and increased use of other educational technology. Now, our guest today is well-equipped to help us understand the impact of this change and how technology can impact student retention, engagement, and satisfaction. Dr. Masha Guzman-Alush is Senior Teacher of the Faculty of Medicine at Tel Aviv University, where she's responsible for improving how teaching and learning is happening. She's also a researcher on the topic, has taught several medical schools and students around uh, Israel. Dr. Alush, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much. So let's start with learning a little bit more about you. What got you interested in in medicine and and specifically medical education? Well, I think I've always felt that working with people makes me happy. Um, In my mandatory military service, I served as a social worker for soldiers. And after that, uh, I was eager to start studying, but I couldn't decide between uh, my high school lab, biology, and the subject always uh, like to read about psychology. So luckily for me, the Hebrew University of Jerusalem offered a merged degree, psychobiology, and I enrolled for those studies. And as I proceeded with my studies, I like very much the down-to-earth biological explanations to human uh, psychological processes. So how the human body works fascinated me, and I felt that biology is more suitable uh, path for me to explore. So after my bachelor's degree, I pursued a PhD in biology in the Faculty of Medicine. And I felt that uh, this is really the right place for me to be. And also during the doctorate studies, I applied to a teaching assistant position. And I taught throughout the whole degree and I loved it very, very much. I loved to watch the aha moments in the, the students' eyes. And I felt that they enjoyed learning from me. And I could feel how to guide them in the way that would spark their curiosity. So I really loved it. And although I liked also doing the biological research, it was clear to me that the teaching is my uh, main passion and it comes to me much more naturally and teaching about health and illness, even more thrilling. So then later I was offered to teach for also nurse degrees in uh, several colleges. I accepted and became a lecturer. And my PhD thesis in epigenetics, it wasn't very clinically oriented. But in my teaching, I worked with many different uh, populations, uh, medical students, nurse uh, students. Also, uh, they were secular students and Orthodox Jewish female students. All of them wanted to be relevant in their studies and have practical applications to the field of studies. So I decided more and more to dedicate uh, time to independent study about the world of medicine and learning about clinical cases and dilemmas that the doctors face. And this is a really fascinating field. This is not white and black. This is a very great area, usually. And I love to facilitate discovery of this work to students. And I also have to say that my love for teaching has family roots. And my dad is, among many other things, is a professor. And he also was a school teacher for many years and later in life he taught in colleges and I have been always impressed how his students loved him and kept in touch with him for many many years 
uh, after they finished school, even across ocean, actually. So it was a big impression on me too, and I think it inspired me. That's fantastic. And, and it sounds like you've had so many of those aha moments that where you were able to kind of watch your students light up and, and, and pass some sort of difficulty. I'm curious for you, especially with your father as a teacher, what was your experience like as a student? Like, did you feel like you had teachers in your life that were mentors for you that, you know, other than your father, of course, that, that helped you guide how you like to teach or your teaching style? Uh, for sure, there were several of them, and I was happy to be their student. But I have to go back to my father, I think, and say thanks to him, because he really was the one that showed me how to spark those aha moments. I grew up in Soviet Russia, and my father became a high school teacher to avoid working with KGB, actually, because it was the, the way to run away from Oh, him. wow. <laughs> Quite a story. <laughs> yeah, and it was really different reality compared to the one that I live right now. Uh, the six of us uh, lived in a small one-bedroom apartment, and I remember my dad was writing his doctorate dissertation about uh, proximal development in children, and he was doing it on a refrigerator in the kitchen because there was no place for a table. So I saw his love for what he was doing, for teaching and for learning about how to teach, and he put really all his soul in it and officially he taught physics but i admired the most for the summer camps that he was creating for his students and during those vacations they would travel from moscow to a rural area for one whole month to experience field work and take part of different activities like sailing and skiing and nature exploration and my family would join also me and in this magnificent settings i think my father taught the student about friendship and leadership and critical thinking and curiosity about life. And this was very inspiring. And also he ran a movie club there. He taught how to watch and actually see movies and appreciate the art of it. And as a little girl, I, I went to school with him. And also I traveled with him and I saw how students learned for him. And the mark that it left on me of the teacher who really cares about his students and how they grow as a human being and how they're really interested in uh, knowing more and more, this was powerful for me. And his passion for the subjects that he taught, it was really important to like the curiosity in, in them. Just hearing you speak about your father, I, I'm getting chills and I'm seeing your face light up. I mean, I just imagine his students light up as well. Just that, that kind of person that cares so deeply is profoundly impactful in a person's life. Yeah, for sure, because later in life, the students, when he was 75 years ago, they came for his birthday, 70 years old, big date. And across the seas from United States, from Russia, they came to Israel and celebrated with him. And as a birthday present, they gave him a ticket for him and his mother to United States to travel to, from coast to coast in houses of his former students. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was so, I think, then you do something right and then you get this feedback, this thing, you, you feel you, you really... Your life was well done. <laughs> well, I mean, it also brings up the fact that you as a teacher, you know, you've been a professor of physiology, pharmacology, you're, you're walking in big shoes then, right? Like you've seen this greatness unfold in front of you and, and now you're walking your own path. I'm curious, what, what has that been like for you personally, like knowing that you have these 
maybe a genetic or a nurture component to your teaching as well. But but you're you're charting your own path here as well. What has that been like for you? Yes, he is a, a source of inspiration. But as you say, I try to go on my own path and uh, not as a high school teacher, but a teacher in a university. And being university teacher has it's different. Students are more autonomous and grown up already. And in many cases, the classes are much larger. It's 200, 300, sometimes 500 students in lecture hall. So lecturers, until recently, the, the hands were tired, not be able to get to each and one student personally. And I think because of technology, things are, are changing right now. Uh, we can uh, set lectures and I can set, set myself a little bit more free from those limitations and teach more student-centered, deliver more active learning and transform actually our roles from being sage on the stage all the time to being actually guide on the side that we believe now it's a better learning process for students. So when I think of what I would like to put in my work and to be a good teacher, I believe it's we need everyone everyone needs to find what what's it in it in for him some can be with fantastic sense of humor and really helps engage students attention and motivation some are really masters of creating a very special uh, inclusive atmosphere in the class and some are great at storytelling so for me uh, i chose i think the storytelling and really caring about the students it, it helps me to feel that I'm doing my job well. And I also try to know my audience, what they know and what we don't know at the beginning and how can I lead them to the point that I want them to be after the studying process and to sense uh, them on the way and to put effort all the time in evolving as a teacher because you know, there are a lot of new practices all around and you can talk to so many wonderful teachers all over the world. Right now, it's even easier because Zoom is now <laughs> so available and you can just ask for someone uh, for advice or, or to share his knowledge with you. And a lot of times it's a really interesting conversation that's coming out of it and you learn a lot. So learning a lot and being curious myself, I think uh, it's, it's important for me as a teacher. You know, with covid a lot of lectures have been given, as, as you know, online. And, and you mentioned earlier kind of that, that aha moment for students. I'm curious, has that changed in terms of like how it is doing things remotely versus an in-person interaction for you? Yes, I think it, it did. When, when COVID started and we all went online, I felt a big, big change for two of my heads. I actually have two heads in the in faculty. One is the lecturer uh, teaching students and the other one is a promoter of uh, teaching novel techniques in the faculty. So in the, in the head of teacher that you asked, is I um, felt that it was uh, easy uh, to go online because I already had experience blended courses before COVID. Actually, we developed uh, with uh, my co-workers, colleagues uh, from the uh, department, a very innovative, I would say, in that, uh, at that time um, course. So it was a big pharmacology course, and it was based on a flipped classroom approach. And each unit inside this course, it had three different uh, parts. The first part was uh, interactive reading. 
The second part would be watching videos that were also interactive, very short and very precise videos that lecturers made uh, uh, from the material that they uh, would usually teach uh, in front of the class and the lecture hall. But those now would be learned at home at uh, a pace and time and place that students choose for himself. And later on, we would meet in class. And during these meetings, we would ask students to be more active learners. Actually, they already have prepared at home and know some of the material. And in meetings, we would discuss with them different case studies, play games to encourage the active learning of what they already studied at home and deepen the analysis of the things. And also then COVID began, I, I felt that we only needed to find a solution for this part of the course to go online. We found that turning a physical synchronous class meeting into online synchronous class meeting even had some advantages. This seemed from the nature of our synchronous meetings. They were not classic lecturers, but uh, rather involved group work and active learning through games. So the transition to an online setting made the, the logistics much more simpler. We did not need to schedule rooms. We could easily divide students in really small four-person groups and uh, in breakout room. And this would allow to collaborate uh, problem solving and uh, contests, uh, really uh, games we, that we would uh, encourage them to play in, in order to make it more uh, fun. But of course, there were difficulties, um, much more about the interperson enthusiasm that I can create and I'm there in the class. And I felt that I am not so uh, well doing it uh, online. It's really hard, much more difficult to get to students through screen. And also, you know, a lot of students had uh, wanted to maintain their privacy and all. So there was black screens in Zoom and you don't see those eyes, those sparkling eyes that it's so important to me. And you don't see the smiles from the other side that they understand. And it was really <laughs> devastating for me. So I would always encourage them to open this part of them and to see some of the eyes that how they are doing. And also I spent less time in university and I felt the disconnection and because there were fewer students in the university and I would less spoke with them and the fewer familiar names and faces and everything was more technical and dry, <laughs> really less human. And I feel that the learning experience, much like the teaching experience, uh, was shallower and less powerful. So when it was possible, most of us wanted to go back to the campus. That's that's really interesting. And certainly I think there's something about being physically around other people that is also very invigorating and, and energizing, especially when you're learning something difficult, you know, like like medicine. You, yourself, you've often been attracted to technology and, and how technology can, can help improve education. On the flip side right now, we see a lot of focus on, on the negatives of social media, you know, other types of applications of technology like big tech and, and all that, not just around like privacy, but also like how it kind of transforms people into basically just consumers, right? Like just consuming content. What do you tell faculty that are kind of averse to technology because of that side of it um, mm -hmm. and, and may not want to use technology in education? What, what, what sort of uh, approach do you take with, with faculty like that? 
Well, I usually show them what can be done, not forcing anyone, you know, just to show. And I also say that I believe that educational technology, it's much more, it would be do good. And every technology can do bad and good, right? You can evolve to something that you don't expect. But in universities, when you use some technology inside the universities or colleges, usually there are a lot of eyes looking on it to decide that this technology is really the right solution. Also, from a privacy point of view, the companies must convey really strict guidelines. I feel much safer around educational technology inside the universities. And also, I would say that, well, yes, some of the privacy is now less because they can see how students proceed and how well they are doing when they use the technology to answer questions, for example. But on the other hand, this is something for, for letting them progress much better and maybe in a more personalized way. So I like to show what, what there is to do with technology and then let them decide what they believe more and what they want to try and what they decide not to, to use. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm also curious then how, you know, stepping out, we're also going through COVID and that has accelerated a lot of the push towards using these technologies. Mm-hmm. What have you noticed in terms of other changes? I mean, you mentioned remote learning, people rushing back to the campus as soon as they could. Have there been any changes that you think are going to be longstanding? Like things that, that now that we're here, we're probably not going to go back to doing it that other way. Have you seen anything like that? Uh, in, in your experience. But totally. I felt that this global pandemic, because all of us needed now to make a change, a really, really big change, we were forced to it and there was no other choice. So I felt that the global transformation opened lecturers' minds to use the novel tools uh, for teaching. And I felt it was a unique momentum, actually, that everyone involved in teaching felt. COVID was a catalyst uh, for for processes of uh, innovation. Suddenly, I felt that most of the lecturers want to at least hear what they can do new, at least try to understand what is there uh, to see. And also the management board, at least at our faculty, it spent the significant funds on technology among which uh, was uh, osmosis purchasing also with the goal to create a new culture of teaching uh, that enables more active learning and on the faculty level the dean uh, the head of the school presenting the vision and to the faculty and presenting the tools that were at the disposal of the lecturers so it seems that there is much more awareness and openness to innovative teaching today. And uh, usually, you know, it takes uh, many years for innovation to take its place in the world. Uh, there is this curve of patience in society. Yeah. yeah. First, there are a few people uh, who are inventors. And once there is a new technology available, there are those who embrace it quickly, the early adapters. And then there is a need to recruit the early majority. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it will not Take uh, stay yeah. in this world. <laughs> so I, I really hope that the early majority now is evolving and um, <laughs> the, the teaching processes are changing in, in a bigger way. You know, we're, we're a teaching company and obviously you're, you're coming from a teaching family. We like to fill knowledge gaps. I'm curious, is there any topic that you'd like to educate us on that you think everyone ought to know? And it can be anything that you that you think is relevant. 
Well, I was talking this week by one of my colleagues in the faculty, and she told me about the struggle that she had. She told me that she really likes active learning, and she thinks it's really important to bring it to students. And, but then she tries to bring it to her class. She gets a feedback that it's actually a waste of time from the student points of view, and they like much better the classical lectures. She said, what do I do? I feel uh, I put so much energy in it. It's not easy to create active learning. And, and then I get this feedback. And I told her that actually she is in a good company because there is interesting article by Delray and Al that shed some light on this situation. It's called the measuring actual learning versus feeling of learning in response to being actively engaged in the classroom. So in this work, they showed that the students perceive that they, they learn more from classic lecture compared to active learning than they, in fact, the opposite was true. They divided the class into groups in A and B, and they studied two topics in two different methods. One was active learning, trying to solve problems in groups, while teacher was going from table to table and explaining, and only in the end, they would give them the solution and the explanation. And the second one was the didactic lecture, classical one, without active learning. And group A studied the first topic actively, and the second passively, and group B, vice versa. The end of class, they asked students to answer a survey, and in the survey, they were asked how much they felt they have learned from the class. At the end, they took also a short test of the knowledge that would show how much they learned from the class. And the results showed that students thought that they, they learned more from the lectures, but actually they were doing better on tests after active learning process. So to explain these results, the article says there are several factors that could, could do the explanation. The cognitive fluency of the lecture uh, that misleads the students to think they learn more. And this happens even more the novice students. And uh, so they are not very good uh, judges of their learning process. And also students a lot of times mistake a cognitive struggle that they have for an inferior learning process. Well, actually it's a sign of effective learning process. And I think, uh, and they think in the article that it's very important to explain this uh, situation to students before active learning uh, classes. And so that it will increase their motivation and engagement in the actual active learning. And I hope this will help the students in our audience uh, to appreciate active learning and the teachers in our audience not to give up on better teaching. So. Wow. That, so <laughs> that's a pretty huge point that you just brought up. So, I mean, this, this um, if I can recap what I'm hearing, students thought that they had a better learning experience when they were learning passively. Uh, they, they said that, they, they reported that. But in mm -hmm. fact, the opposite were true. And, and also, you notice that discrepancy more with the naive learners, the younger learners, than with the more expert learners, the, the more senior learners. Is that accurate? Well, the, the, the explanation why was that actually, uh, as a student, as a novice student, you have poorer metacognition about the process yeah. of your learning. And this is why it probably happens with novice even more. And the problem with that, the challenge with that, is that now when we, let's say we do surveys, we say, hey, how much did you learn? And someone says, oh, I went from a two to a six, or I went from one to a five. Well, if you're telling me that oftentimes people are not good judges of their own learning, right? 
then it really calls into question those kinds of results taken in isolation. Obviously, if there are other data points, then you can put together a story that may be more strong. But that sole sort of self-reflection, that self-evaluation may not always be reliable because like what you said, that they actually may be scoring lower the more useful parts, yeah. the more active learning. So that's that's interesting. Wow, that's a big deal. So a lot of times as, as teachers, we, we want to know what the students think about our teaching. And it is important because there is a lot of things to learn from this criticism. And every time I, I finish the class, I, I read what they have to say and I try to see how we improve. But also you have to have in mind that not everything that what they feel is good for them it's really good for them so you have to explore yourself the literature to see what is the better teaching ways that was fantastic let me ask you one final question then in terms of our audience a lot of folks will look at your career and aspire to it or find it inspirational what advice do you have for students out there that may be listening early career health professionals that may be listening about how to approach their career in healthcare? i think that right now learning one of the points it's hard to us to to do while COVID is around is learning together. I think that distancing and lack of human connection is one of the challenges for students and they should be proactive to try to solve it because not all the universities do it fast enough to solve this problem for them. So really trying to organize learning groups and get to know each other and study in a collaborative way it's important and and also another point that i want to address is for this approaching the career in healthcare is that i think the lifelong learning is really important because i notice sometimes an interesting transformation that happens to people including myself actually sometimes that they put on a student head and many try to figure out how to get a good grade on an exam with minimum effort. Mm -hmm. This is the way, for some reason, some students think once they put this head. Once they put a teacher head, it, it switches. But in a student head, it goes like that. But sometimes I do see students with light in their eyes and the curiosity, a natural one, and that love to learn. And I think they're so lucky to have this already in the beginning and not uh, later in life. So I think once you embrace it, you are, you're becoming much more happier through this uh, period of, of studying and also, of course, much better as a specialist in the future. So I think one of the important things is to learn also about communication and compassion because in this profession, I believe it will be the future, you know, because... There is artificial intelligence that coming uh, really strong in this field and it will be the help of every doctor is really soon already, but much more really soon. And I think that the niche that the doctors probably would have beside artificial intelligence is the niche of the humanity and the warmth and the motivation for patients. Many processes, it will be different because of AI, but this human thing, we need to put attention on it and learn it because I, I believe some of us maybe have it more from the beginning, but every one of us can learn it deeper and pay attention on this. That's a phenomenal way to end it. Thinking first about empathy and compassion and secondly about kind of the didactics and then the, 
the concrete nuts and bolts of it because there's a quote that I like if if they think that you care then they'll care what you think that's fantastic quote yeah and that's the key like you have to make people recognize that you care about them as human beings uh, before they kind of care about what you're trying to teach them and so I guess with that, I, I want to thank you. Thank you for joining us and, and talking us through kind of your, your personal story, what drove you into teaching and, and your philosophy. I think it's very inspirational. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure for me too. Well, I'm Rishi Desai. Thank you for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>